0: good morning I'm very excited and humbled to be with you today to be invited to come back for 2020 homecoming and I appreciate the spirit of improvisation that has to happen when you have to do things differently and uh, so thank y'all for being flexible and uh, being able to adapt to the circumstances and the days that we're in where I, I hope that all of you are smiling underneath those masks And uh, and I'm also, it feels like I've got a lot to say Because I haven't preached here for months So I'm going to try not to overburden you with, with six months or seven months of preaching in one sermon uh, But I do feel like that I've got a lot to to say because I haven't been here for so long. Uh, But it's certainly good to be back and my heart is just warmed and uh, our family was just excited to to come back today and arose very early this morning in anticipation for today. So it's just good to be back at Lindsley Avenue to celebrate 100 years of service in this location. And in this building and of course the service of this church to this community is beyond that and so I just am humbled to get to be with you today and to share a message and so I want to talk about home certainly this church has been home to many people and it was a home for Stacy and River and I For 10 years and we still consider it to be home. And in my heart of hearts is Lindsley Avenue. And when we think about home, there's probably all sorts of images that come to our mind. Some of those images are sentimental. We just read in the text about how the people of God had shouts for joy, but there was also weeping because the temple had been laid and the the men who had seen the first temple now were seeing the foundation of the second temple being laid. And it evoked emotion. And certainly when we think about home, there is an emotion that comes to each of us. And you may be overwhelmed in, in thinking about home to memories, and things that happened. You may think about the safety or the security or the shelter or the comfort or all those things that are associated with home. Maybe those familiar phrases, home, sweet home, or home is where the heart is. My cousin was a songwriter here in Nashville. And sometimes songwriters and artists can express truth for us in a profound way, can't they? You know, they say about country music is uh, three chords in the truth. Right there. And sometimes songwriters have a way of communicating things, and artists have a way of communicating things that sometimes are hard to articulate. My song, my songwriter cousin, he wrote a song called Detroit City, and uh, a part of his songwriting collection ended him up in the Songwriters Hall of Fame here in town. But in that song, Detroit City, that he wrote with Mel Tillis, he talks about leaving the farm in Tennessee and going to Detroit City, which was something that happened a lot. In the 50s and 60s because the country boys had to go somewhere to get a job. And so he he goes to Detroit and he starts working in the factories, building cars. And and then his mind drifts back to home. And the chorus is just simply, I want to go home. I want to go home. Oh, how I want. To go home, and there's something in that, isn't there, that all of us desire to go home, whatever that means. I remember my dad telling me a story about when he got to meet my cousin who wrote that song, and my my dad was a singer, and he had this nice kind of crooning voice and he was really talented and so he got in his mind that maybe he could make it in Nashville and so he decides to drive to Nashville to meet my cousin who's a songwriter and he goes to try to find him and he goes to the publishing house and they say oh he's down at the bar and so my dad goes down to the bar And there my cousin is at the bar and my dad starts to talk to him about being a songwriter, coming to Nashville and being a singer. And my cousin tells my dad, why would you want to do that? He says, go home and love your family. to wonder what the advice would have been or what the life of my dad would have been if the advice would have been different. I want to go home. And the life that my cousin had in Nashville, his domestic life, in some ways was fraught with some disappointments and challenges. And he told my dad to go home And love your family. I think about Jesus. Where was Jesus born? He wasn't even born in his hometown, was he? No, he was born out of pocket. He was born outside of his hometown. He wasn't born in Nazareth, was he? From the beginning of Jesus' life, he was displaced, wasn't he? He was born without a home. He was born in a stable, right? Then later on in his life, we get to re- the report that Capernaum was kind of his home. And it says in Mark chapter 2, 1, and the report went forth that Jesus was home. But then later in Jesus' ministry, he says something like this. Boxes have holes. And birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. In some sense, Jesus was actually homeless His whole life. Because Bethlehem wasn't His home. Capernaum wasn't His home. Nazareth wasn't His home. His home was somewhere else, wasn't it? Desire to go home. And in this text, in Ezra, there's this marvelous homecoming that happens. And the response just melts my heart because I see what happens. It says that the old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice. They had seen the first temple, and now, after 70 years of being in Babylonian captivity, 70 years gone, 70 years abroad, 70 years in another country, 70 years with another language, 70 years with other temples, 70 years in other people's houses. And now they finally got back to Jerusalem after 70 years. And some of the old men that had the memory of the temple wept. Because they were home. They were home. They'd spent 70 years in Babylon because the scriptures tell us that number one, they had abused the land. They had abused the land. That was actually a part of it because in the law it says that the land needed to rest. That the land had a Sabbath too. Not just people, but the land itself. That every seven years you were to let the land rest. And in the 800 years of the history of Israel at that time, 490 years, the land had not rested, it says. And because of that, if you divide 490 years by 7, you get 70. And it was 70 years God's judgment judged them to, to be somewhere else and to let the land finally rest. They abused the land. They abused worship. Here the children of Israel flirted with all sorts of idolatry. Instead of worshipping the one true living God, they worshipped idols, graven images. They abused worship. They abused each other. They abused the orphans and the widows, it says in Isaiah chapter 1. And they had intermarried with pagans. All of these things brought judgment to them. And now, after they had fulfilled this judgment in Babylon, they came home. And there's some lessons in this for us about coming home and what it means to be at home. The first thing that it tells me is, number one, home takes work. And if you've ever had a house, you know that pretty soon stuff starts to break, doesn't it? Even a new home doesn't it, Greta? You start to have to work. And you have to work for that home. Because a lot of us have to spend 30 years on a note, don't we? Working for a home. Because it takes work. And we think about the earth. It says every house has a builder. And the builder of all things, Hebrews 3, 4, is God. And even in the very beginning, when God gave man the garden of Eden. He said, I want you to tend it and work in it, because home takes work, doesn't it? Think about my wife, who's really good at nesting. Some of you ladies know what that is, start building nests, start making the house homely, comfortable, all kinds of wonderful things to make it look pleasing to the eye and comfortable. But home takes work, doesn't it? And it took years from this point in Ezra for actually the temple to be built. That they laid the foundation to the temple, but then it took years of work for it to actually be accomplished. Christianity is ultimately God dwelling with man, isn't it? And when we pray, we pray the prayer of Christ, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Making this the habitation of God takes work, doesn't it? Making our world the habitation of God takes work. Making our own lives the habitation of God. Takes work, doesn't it? But we're promised. We're promised by Christ that He is working. Remember the words, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. you believe in God, you believe also in in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that. That the master carpenter is preparing a place for you. Home takes work, doesn't it? Number two, home is worth fighting for. That's right. Home is worth fighting for. Sometimes there is going to be conflict in this life, isn't it? There's going to be those who come in conflict with the kingdom of God. There's going to be conflict to the home. But home is worth fighting for. And what we find in Ezra that the people of God were confronted with other people who didn't want them there, who didn't want them to even build the temple. And so there was a fight, there was a a conflict and and there was also a conflict in the people themselves because after they were confronted with people, that didn't want them to build it, then they got unmotivated themselves. And so not only was there a conflict external, there was a conflict within themselves. And it took not one prophet, but it took two prophets to overcome their complacency And finishing the job of building the temple. It took Haggai and Zechariah to get the people motivated to complete the temple. It took a fight. G.K. Chesterton once said it like this. The true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him. But because he loves what is behind him. The reason why we fight for anything is not because we hate. It's because we love. And the Bible in the New Testament talks about there being a war. A spiritual war, doesn't it? And the scriptures are very specific in the fact that we fight as Christians in the nonviolent way. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We, our weapons are not carnal in nature, it says. But Paul still says put on the whole armor of God. Doesn't it? And most of the battle takes place right here in the human heart. Paul reminds those of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the the whole armor of God. Don't just put on some of it. We'd all look a little funny if we forgot some of our clothes today, wouldn't we? But we certainly wouldn't want to go out into battle with half the armor on, would we? And he talks about putting on the helmet of salvation and thus protecting the mind. Because the mind is important, isn't it? What we think about. Paul also says in Philippians 4.8. To think on these things. Those things which are true and noble and good. Because what we think on has such power. Paul also says the breastplate of righteousness. Protect the heart. Gird yourself with the truth. The feet shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Home is worth fighting for, isn't it? But home is also worth waiting for. Because we're all in a sense waiting, aren't we? 2 Corinthians 5 gives such a description of this waiting that we're in right now, the season of waiting. By describing life as this. For we know that if we have an earthly tent. Earthly tent. A tent is not a permanent dwelling, is it? At least I hope not. I've never gone camping and I said, man, I want to live in this tent. I haven't gotten to that point. It's a temporary thing, isn't it? And it says we have renounced. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Here we are given this transitory tent, but there is a house not made for hands in eternity. Verse 2, here indeed we groan. I don't know how old Paul was when he wrote this, but the older I get, the more I groan. Amen? Amen. And groanings now that I didn't have 10 years ago. Right? There's a groaning in this tent. It also says while we are still in this tent we sigh with anxiety. There's anxiety in this tent. But it goes on to say we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord we just finished up in the Jewish calendar is the the feast the tabernacles feast of the tabernacles or the feast of the booths and every year the Jewish people would gather and they would live in tents or in booths to remember what it was like to be in the wilderness To live in tents, to live in tabernacles, to live in this temporary state. And we're all in that state, aren't we? Because we haven't made it home yet. But my most important point to you today is this. Not that home is just worth working for, or worth fighting for, or worth waiting for. But home is actually a relationship, isn't it? I think about all the places I've lived. Some places are pretty nice and some places that aren't very, very nice. I think about the homes that Stacy and I had in our marriage. We lived in four different places. And I would go back to the humblest of those if he's there and rivers there. Because ultimately home is, is more than just a house, isn't it? When we just recently purchased a home, a little old man came up to me that we bought the house from. And he said, hey, we've been having a lot of trouble with this. I've been having a lot of trouble letting go of this house. He said, because this house was more than a house. He said it was a home. Why? Because of who was in it. Because of what it represents, the relationships that were formed inside that home. You think about the prodigal son, that he had journeyed to a far country. He had made his home elsewhere. And then he finally came to his senses of all places, that pig pen. And he says this, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven before you. You see, the prodigal son wasn't just going to a house, was it? No, the prodigal son was going home because of who was home, because his father was home, because home is ultimately a relationship that we have. And there's some people who are never at home because they don't know their father. Christine said it like this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O oh Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Until we find home in that relationship with the Father, we will be restless. We will be homeless. We will be orphans. We will be estranged. Because the true homecoming it's with the Father. We have a desire for home, don't we? You probably want to go home right now. Some of us have gotten our full taste of home in the last few months, right? They're always like, I'm, I'm, I've had of home. The poet Maya said it like this, I long as does every human being to be at home wherever I find myself. The only way that we can find that home. Wherever we find ourselves. Is to be rightly aligned with our Heavenly Father. So today I challenge you as I challenge everyone every day. Choose the Lord. Joshua said it to the people of God. Choose whom you will serve this day. He said for it is me and my household. We will serve the living and true God, and unless God builds a house, they can labor, labor in vain. So today we can be at home, whether we're Lindsley Avenue or whether we're at our house, wherever we may be, if we're one with the Father. So today I invite you to obey the Father. The Bible says to believe in Christ repent and turn from sin to confess Christ to be the son of the living God and to be baptized immersed into his death burial and the resurrection and then to walk and to be thou faithful even into death until we make it home Or today if you have a desire to for prayer or for encouragement or for healing we want to give you that opportunity. So if there's any need, won't you come now? Let's get this hand.